God, we thank you for this time. Um, we thank you that um, we can trust you no matter uh, what we go through in life, that you're a provider even when we don't understand and even when injustices roll. God, we thank you that you are the judge and you will make every wrong right on Judgment Day and we can trust you. And we pray that you would let um, justice flow and that we could trust you um, even if we don't see it in the moment. And we thank you that you are a good and gracious God and um, that we can trust you. And we love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your most precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a big hand. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22 today. Luke chapter 22, it'll be on the screen. It is also in your Bible, if you have one and want to open along. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Um, this is a this is a this is a passage where there is there's one particular verse that we've probably heard a lot, uh, but there's a lot going on around it that very that quite frankly we hear it. Our response is like Jesus, what are you talking about? Um, What's, what's particularly interesting to see as we're, we're thinking through the lens of the, the, one of the questions that I want to think through today um, is, is this idea around spiritual leadership. What are, kind of the, what are the kind of leaders that we're looking to follow? Um, we started this idea a couple of weeks ago where I, was, I really feel like the Lord has captivated my heart on thinking through and praying through spiritual leadership because I believe that we're hardwired, every single one of us, to follow. Every single one of us is called to exert influence and every single one of us is called to look for people to follow. Everyone. And so that, that raises all kinds of questions for us as Christians. And this, what we just read, is the definitive passage around Jesus talking around leadership. What does leadership look like? Um, and it can be a really, really confusing passage. And so one of the things that I want to do today um, is, uh, in, the, in the words of, of Aaron Rose, every once in a while, someone will come to Aaron and is like, what is Doug like? And Aaron will look at them and be like, he's just a nerd. That is what she says. Some might find that insulting. I find that endearing. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to I unpack what it is that's happening here. Um, but in 25 minutes or less, I want to give us 2,000 years of Western church history to help us understand the ways in which this passage has worked its way into our culture and the ways in which we have tried to work out from under it. Um, so, so to, to really understand what it is that Jesus is saying, he, he is getting at this idea that the way that leadership exists, the way that the world exists, 
particularly in his time, but really not that different from our time, um, is with two words, power and provision. Say power Power. and provision. provision. And it goes like this. There are few people who have lots and lots of power. Um, And they're, they're... the, the way that the world exists is when they say to do something, if they have power, your job is to what? Hallelujah. We're on slide four. <laughs> slide four. Thank you, Elena. And Jordan, you're superstars. So we're on slide four. It says in Jesus's world, leadership was about two things, power and provision. Yes. We're on track. Big hand for the AV team. Um, so you, you've got someone who's saying, like, look, I've got all the power. If I say to do it, you. And if I say come here, you. And if you don't, what am more, more than likely in Jesus' time, if you don't, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill you. I will take all of your possessions. I will do awful things to your family. And I'll just make an example of you. And, and that, by and large, is the way that it, that it existed. So when Jesus says something like, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over other people, the, he means that literally. They have all of the power, but the contract that they're under goes something like this. Look, every once in a while, other people are going to try to hurt you. And we aren't going to like that. And so in certain times when other people try to hurt you, like if another army comes in or something like that, we will provide for you. And so that provision piece usually means we'll protect you. And that's the, very mo- that's the most basic contract that exists. There's power, and a, a very few people have it, and it is oftentimes the power of life and death. And their job is under the most extreme circumstances to provide provision. Usually, it's just going to be protection. Every once in a while, it might mean something else. Does that make sense? And Jesus is like, this is the way that everything exists in the world. And he's like... That's not the way that my kingdom's going to exist. And so he uses a metaphor. He's like, I want you to imagine that you're at a table. And you have all of these people who are at the table. The way that the system of the world works is you're trying to be the person who is at the table. And you're trying to eat the ta- at the table. And then there are other people, and their job is to serve the people who are at the table. Does that make sense? And so the, the, what everyone is trying to do is to get to the table. He's like, that is the way that the world exists. That's, that's just what this passage is literally saying. He's like, but I have never operated that way. The way that I have operated is to say, everyone, you can be at the table, but I'm going to serve you. Like, if you want to know what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like, you have to look at me. And the way that I have functioned is I have seen that my job is to serve you. And then this is what he says. He's like, I have conferred on you a kingdom. That word confer, we're going to really nerd out, is this Greek word, dytheke. And it means, I have marriage covenanted to you a kingdom. So this is what he's saying. When we got together, and there were two separate identities, there are now two that have become one. When you did that, you joined my family. And when you joined my family, you also joined the family business. And the family business, if you look all the way back at the beginning in, in, in Eden, is exactly what it is that Jesus is describing here. And it's this, co-rulership. God could hoard all of the power because he is the king of the universe. 
Jesus is the king. He can do whatever he wants. And what is the picture that he paints here? He's looking at the people in this room. He's like, every single one of you, you're going to end up on a throne. What Jesus is doing is literally flipping upside down the way that power and provision and the structure and the exorcision of power is going to look like. He's like, you can operate this way in the world or or you can do it my way. You can do it my way. This is the question. Were they going to listen? Were they going to listen? Go ahead to the next slide. In the Roman system, there is this top-down thing, right? Who is at the very top of the Roman system? Caesar. Caesar can kill anyone he wants, and he virtually owns everything. And there are a couple of people that are beneath him, and then 85% of everyone else virtually owns nothing. And Caesar just gets to do whatever it is that he wants. What Jesus is saying, in my system, it's flipped upside down. Who's at the bottom? Jesus, the the chief leader, the chief shepherd. And if you want to be a leader in his kingdom, you join him at the bottom. And you serve your way up. That is what it looks like. If you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, welcome to the upside down triangle. That is the invitation of Jesus. Will you lead like Jesus tells you to lead? Or are you going to lead like everyone else says you should? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, did the disciples listen? And if they did, what happened? In the end, they actually did what Jesus said. There's this man named Leonard Ravenhill, and he was this extraordinary man in the early 20th century. And he has this, like one of my favorite quotes, he says this, one day, someone is going to pick up the Bible, they're going to read it, and they're going to do what it says, and everyone else is going to feel foolish. These 12 people who heard this just did what it is that Jesus said to do. So they got more people who they discipled and were like, hey, you should do what Jesus says. And those people got more people who they discipled and said, hey, you should do what Jesus said. And they all did this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And 270 years later, a group of 120 people in an upper room had turned to 52.3% of the entire Western world. So... The question of whether or not we should do what Jesus says is not, does it work? We should do it because Jesus says to do it. It just also happens to work. Like when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're just faithfully doing what Jesus says, it may not work completely in your lifetime, or in the lifetime of your kids, or the kids, or the the generations after that. But if you give it enough time, the arc of the universe bends towards God's rule and his reign. Will you actually lead and love the way that Jesus invites you into? Now, if that happened, so we're at this place where we're talking about an entire culture was shifted upside down. It used to be this Roman system, and then it flipped. And we're now living like the majority of the culture is living in this upside down triangle. Is that the way that things exist today? No. What happened? I'm going to give you in 12 minutes or less. An answer to that question as we take like a hop, skip, and a jump towards 1,700 years of church history. This is, this is essentially what happened. All right. Around the 5th century, the Roman Empire begins to crumble, and everything crumbles along with it. 
We won't get into why it happened. We won't get into all the, ex- all the specifics of what happened. But all the structures attached to the Roman Empire are falling away except for one. There's one structure that is alive and well. Do you know what that structure is? It's the church. It's the one structure that is managed not to crumble. All the power, all of the provision, all of the wealth, all of the exorcision of these powerful people has fallen away. And what they essentially did is they took all of the old system and they poured it into the systems of the church. So they, they, they took the funnel as if like that, that funnel, that triangle on the right had all this water or concrete and they just poured it into the system of the world and then it froze. So l- let, me sh- let me show you a little bit what this, what this looks like. Go two slides to the picture. Th- this is, I mean, this is a picture. This is not a painting. Um, th- this is a group of cardinals who are going to decide who the, the, the next pope is going to be. Have you ever looked at these and like, why do they wear those funny clothes? Like, what is it? Like, we are, we are in the 21st century. What are they doing with the flowing red gowns, with the funny hats on their head? Why do they wear those? Like, why does the pope have that giant thing atop of his head? Why is that? Because when this transition happened, when the Roman Empire fell, the most powerful people in the world wore those clothes. Like the people who were the most powerful, who had the most money in northern Italy, that's what they wore. And when the church was the only thing left, and they took on all of the power, and all of the known world comes to the church and is like, you're the only thing left, what do they start to do? We're like, well, it feels good to have power, doesn't it? For a long time, we haven't had power. We've operated from the bottom up. It kind of feels good to be at the top. And so now, all of the money, all of the power, all of the prestige, everything that comes with that, we get. So why don't we dress like that too? And 1,700 years later, they're still wearing it. You are looking at something that has, was literally frozen in time from the 5th century. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, um, <laughs> there's a different way that I'm inviting you to operate in. So what, all, the, all the different systems start to fall to the wayside. There is, like, we, we flip into this thing called the Dark Ages, where for the better part of more than of a roughly a thousand years, there is there's very little rule of law. Everyone is out for themselves. The only thing that exists with any kind of security or stability is the church. There's a system that starts to develop, and I'm going fast, I know. And I know you did not think you were going into social studies history today when you came to church, called the feudal system. And it was a very, very simple contract. It was, there are lords... And there's everyone else. And the lords own everything. There is nothing, nothing at all that the lords don't own. They own every, I promise I'm going somewhere with all of this. I know you're looking at me like he has gone off his rocker. They own everything. And then you have these other people who are called serfs. Who, it's another way of saying peasants. And because the lords were very gracious to them, it went something like this. I, your lord, am going to allow you to farm my land because I am generous and benevolent like that, like a benevolent dictator. And all you have to do is give a percentage of my land and the crops that it yields to me. 
And there's a very, very simple thing that we're going to do. When you do that, like if things get really, really bad, I'll come and help you. And the rest of the time, for the most part, I'm just going to leave you alone. And so you have a group of people, a very, very small percentage of people who own everything and who are oftentimes the people who are running the church. And then everyone else who owns nothing at all and are just hoping they can put enough food on the table for their family. And for a thousand years, that is the system. And here's the interesting thing. For the most part, the system kind of works. I don't mean like it's a good system. I mean, it kind of works, but it really breaks down around two central things. There are a couple of other things that we could talk about. I'm trying to simplify. I'm I'm running for it, guys. It breaks down for two reasons. The first one, that it breaks down, next slide, is war. So this is, this is what it looks like. Um, do you remember how the passage starts that we just read? It's the disciples, it's the very last meal that they're going to have with Jesus, and a dispute arises among the disciples around who is the greatest. That's just part of the human condition. So whether you are a disciple like Peter or John, or you are the king of England or France, you're like, who do you think is the greatest? Is it me? I think it is too. And so if I'm the king of England, I'm looking at the king of France, and I'm like, I want to prove that I'm better than you, and I am greater. And so sometimes they would set up things where it's like, hey, you get on a horse, and I'll get on a horse, and we'll each have a stick, and we run at each other. And we're going to see who can poke the other off the horse. And that will prove which of us is the greatest. Sometimes, sometimes where it really starts to break down is like in 1916, where it'll be 250,000 people who die over less than a football field of land in northern France for nothing. And so eventually, all of the people come back after World War I, and they're looking at each other, and they're like, I don't know, like, like, there are towns in northern England where there is not a single male person over the age of 16. They had all been killed. And they're looking around, and they're like, you know what? This system is broken, and I'm done. Because anytime the Lord just wants to come to me and be like, hey, we're going to go fight for God, king, and country, or whatever it is, we're like, that sounds like a really stupid idea. Just so that you can prove something and get a couple of more football fields? No, I'm not going to do that. The other reason that it'll break down is famine. So you, part of the contract is this. We're going to give you a percentage of our crops, and you can do whatever it is that you want with it, but if there's famine, we're going to come to you, and you're going to have to feed us. Funny thing about lords, they like to spend the money. Um, and so what you'll see, and this happens throughout history, is every once in a while, famine will hit. And the people will go to the Lord and be like, hey, remember that contract we made where we gave you a percentage of the crops? And if there was ever famine, you were going to feed us? Uh, it hasn't rained in three years. We have no crops. We're dying. Can you give us some food? And the lords are like, oh, about that. You see that palace in the background? I built that thing with the crops, and it's kind of hard to convert that into bread. And like, we're, we're really simplifying, but that's essentially the French Revolution. Like, and they kill all, they kill all the lords. Like, and, and, and what you, what you see is like, under extreme circumstances, everything starts to bend and then it snaps. 
And if, if, you, if you get down into the roots of it, the, the original ideas, and I'm going to say like the good ideas, I'm not going to talk about the bad ideas that came with it. The good ideas around the founding of this country, around this experiment was like, what if we didn't go with that system anymore? Because that thing seems broken. Now, for all the ways in which that system has broken here, and for all the ways in which we're like, isn't it strange that once again, it seems like a very small percentage of people own all of the stuff. Um, all of this was in reaction to a system that was like, hey, everyone, um, your job is to serve the few. The, the interesting thing that I think I'm trying to, to get us to see today is that it is, it is deeply ironic that we, were suppo- we are supposed to be living in a land that rejects feudalism. That's how we came to be. There's a bunch of junk that came with that. We're not going to go down that today. But at the heart, like it was, this place came to be as a rejection of that system. And yet, the church exists in a state of spiritual feudalism. The church system, the success of any church is typically defined by two things. How many serfs there are, attendance, and how much tax they pay, tie their budget. Like that is a feudal system. Like the way that feudalism works goes something like this. Hey, I've, I've come to you so that you'll feed me. Where is my food? The number of conversations that you will hear, I mean, like the number of conversations you will hear when when a church service is over, that sounds something like this. Hey, what did you think of the service today? How did they do it feeding us today? Did you like that song? I didn't like that song either. I don't know what Aaron was doing. She was tripping. Like, Doug was off. Like... I wish, I wish that Chan was back up here and he was speaking because whatever like warmed over junk that Doug, get, like, and so what we do is we, when we come together, we evaluate like, did the people who are leaders feed us well? And if they aren't, I'll find somewhere else where they'll feed me better. That is spiritual feudalism. That is called spiritual feudalism. This thing where a few people have all of the power and the contract is, for the, if you're not one of those few, you're looking at them and be like, please feed me. Please protect me. Please take care of me. And this is what Jesus says. You are not to be like that. Let me just read... This passage, a dispute, also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. You are not to be like that. Does there sound like there is a lot of wiggle room there? No. I will answer that question for you. 
There is not a lot of wiggle room. Jesus goes on, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus' picture of leadership in the church is that all of us are influencers. All of us are to be leading at least one person. And all of us are to be following at least one person. All of us are submitted to someone. All of us are meant to be producers. All of us. I am meant to be a producer. Pastor Don is meant to be a producer. And so are you. This is what Jesus is trying to get at. There is no such thing as the spiritual elite. There is no such thing as the spiritually. There might be people who know Jesus more than you do, but they don't have a right to know him more than you do. There is no such thing as the spiritually. You are meant to be a leader. Jesus has created a system where all of us would lead together from the bottom up. And the thing that would be the hallmark of our leadership is that we serve. That is what we do. We are not ones who look to get at the table. We are the ones who look to serve the folks who are at the table. Another way of putting it in terms of like spiritual leadership principles. We talked about a spiritual leadership principle two weeks ago. The second principle that I want to hit tonight is this. Is that in Jesus' system, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. What I, mean, what I mean by that is that like, just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I get to do all these extra special fun things that you don't get to do. That is the lie the system has told you. That is the lie of the enemy. That is the system of the world that says there are a few special people that get to have all the fun. Jesus, when getting his disciples together, says, like, this is what you're going to do. As you come and go, make disciples. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the key. Teach them to do everything that I taught you to do. Not some stuff. Not just, the, not just the, like, a few of the things. Everything that I have taught you, you now go and teach others to do as well. There is no spiritual lead. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to have a seat at the table and get to serve the people at the table. What God is doing in the world today is he is asking his leaders to equip and to empower all his people for the work he set aside for them. Not for leaders to do all the work of ministry, but for leaders to equip so all can do the work of ministry. The system that we are a part of is this thing that is meant to be completely upside down. Where when we look at it, it is the definition is that we get to be servants and we all get to play. And the markers of our lives are that we are the people who do what it is that Jesus told us to do. That is our invitation. Like in the, whenever we start to approach church, spiritual family as, is it giving me exactly what I need? The question we need to be asking ourselves, just in an honest posture, is, am I, as a member, a participant, a person in this spiritual family, bringing to the table of two others what they need? 
I'm not saying it's not a question that we should be asking. Am I getting what I need? Am I getting fed? But we have to ask both sides of those. We are both to be at the table and to be serving those at table at the same time. That is the power structure. As people who are, who are serving those who are at the table, as well as people who get served. As people who are poured into, and as people who pour out. Like that is the system that Jesus has set up. And the more that our church looks like the power structures of the world, the more ineffectual we are going to be at carrying out the ministry of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus says, you are not to be like that. And he just keeps talking about how if you are going to look like the way that the world functions, you are just going to be like the world. So I'm, I'm going to invite the band to come up as we transition to communion. I'm just going to repeat one thing that I said earlier as we set the communion table, and it's this. One day... Someone is going to pick up the Bible, and they're going to do what it says, and then we're all going to feel foolish. The, the, the fascinating thing about the Bible is actually really practical. Like, Jesus invites us to live into a new kind of power dynamic. Will we? Jesus invites us to live into the freedom where we get to be leaders. Not looking for the spiritual lead to feed us, but for all of us to make a meal together. Where we all sit and eat, where we all do the cleanup, where we're all serving. It's like going to a 4th of July picnic. Where everyone is involved in this thing. We're all eating, we're all looking after children, we're all saving Sam, my son, from drowning himself in the pool. Whatever it is, like we're we're all doing this at the same time together. We're not coming in as passive observers. We're coming in as participants in what it is that God is doing. This passage that we read tonight, it happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Not long after Jesus says this to them, they go to a garden where he prays and asks that God would take the cup and give it to someone else or figure out some other way. But ultimately he submits to the will of the Father. He says, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. On that night, with this group of people, he took the bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he passed it around. And he says, this is my blood, which is spilled for you. He encouraged them, like, whenever it is, whenever it is that you come to this table again, remember what it is that we're doing. Remember who I am. Remember who you are. We, We say this each time. Paul, when inviting the church to take communion together, he asks each person to make an examination of themselves. And so just the just the examination that I would that I would ask you to make today is simply to to ask the Lord like how am I living into the idea that everyone gets to play like are there are there places where I need to be challenged in how I think about my place in the church 
and what it is that God is inviting me into. How it is that I approach a large gathering. How it is that I approach a missional community or a prayer gathering or whatever it is that we do when we gather together. And allow the Lord to speak affirmation. Allow him to speak encouragement. Allow him to speak rebuke. It's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm going to ask our communion servers to come up. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The places in our hearts where you're inviting us into a greater calling as disciples of Jesus, as leaders. We ask that you would draw close to us tonight, Father. We ask that as as folks come to the communion table, that you would meet with them. Lord, your word says that when two or three are gathered, that you are there, you are here with us. In the name of Jesus, help us to be near to you. Lord, may there be joy. May there be peace. Where there is anxiety or fear, we say that in the name of Jesus, that that is not of you. Perfect love drives out fears. May it be driven out. Ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to take a moment or two just to reflect with the Lord, to pray with Him. And then when you're ready to come to the tables.
I'm giving you my spirit and sending you out with power, telling of the freedom found in me. To the table, come to the table, at the table, come to the table, and meet with me. join us up here real quick would you come back up amen pastor Doug come quickly come quickly come quickly hallelujah hey y'all it's Doug's birthday today he loves this 
Okay, you can go sit down. Hey, give him lots of love. He really enjoys when people tell him happy birthday very loudly in the presence of other people. He really likes that. Okay, so we have one more song. Yeah. Come on, put your hands together. Said I'm gonna live so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. Said I'm gonna live so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. Said I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live so God can use me. songs right come on come on come on come on just do a little just do a little bit more there just a little bit come on just a little bit just a little bit more of that and we're gonna let y'all go because i want you to get it don't 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 act like it's just a song you want to live that come on said i'm gonna live so god can use me
Hey, look, 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 look. Let me let me say this to us. Please soak in the message, amen. But then soak in this song. It sounds like fun, but what would happen to our world if we really did that? Wherever we went, whatever we did, we were living so that God could use us. Go ahead and look at somebody. Just look them right in the eye. Say, you know what? God could use you. That's right. He can use you. Say this. Say me. Say me. Yes, you. Father God, I just thank you right now. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Pastor Doug, God. Thank you for a simple song that if we as a people would live it out, our neighborhood, our nation, our world would be different. If just the people of God would live so the Lord could use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for the worship band? Thank y'all. All right.